set up here. You can open your Bibles to Second Samuel. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter eleven. Second Samuel chapter 11, um, and we'll read the first five verses, and then opening prayer. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 11, <clears throat> and it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messages and took her, and she came in unto him. And he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Let's open in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you that we can come around your word together, Lord. We thank you uh, for this uh, chapter, this story that we've got here um, in the book of David. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, help us to learn something from it. I pray that it would be both a challenge and a blessing at the same time. Just give me wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use me for your glory tonight, Lord, and this, uh, what, what I've studied out would be clear um, and help me uh, deliver it simply, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, the, um, uh, one of the, a well-known verse in the Bible that I'm sure you all know would be, is Proverbs 15.3. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This verse is definitely true of um, what we've seen so far and what's to come in the rest of this chapter. Now, uh, last time I preached, for those that were here um, that would remember, we looked at these first five verses, and this is what we've already seen. Uh, and in, this, in that message, my last one, we looked at how uh, this fall of sin that David um, had here, where he committed adultery with Bathsheba, it wasn't something that caught him by surprise. It was something that was coming for many, many years. Um, uh, while ever he was king, he had a bit of a habit of taking wives upon himself. He had multiple wives. He had concubines uh, who he had relations with and had, didn't marry. And he was living in this sin. That was obviously something that was just popular back then. It was something that kings did um, for uh, well warfare, relations with other nations and things and that, and to also look after widows and things like that, a whole different system. But it wasn't God's way, and it was sin that David was living in with these multiple wives and uh, his concubines and things. And uh, this sin is what led him to the point where he committed adultery. It was a step-by-step -step gradual fall. It wasn't something that hit him at once and suddenly he woke up one day and just committed adultery out of the blue. This was something that had been going on in his life for a long time. So that struggle that he had with a certain sin and then it led to him to that point. And last time we saw how dangerous sin is and that uh, if we leave sin unconfessed in our lives, then it can take us much further than what we ever intended it to or never thought it would. You know, David, though, in this chapter is about to uh, go even further. Um, we're going to uh, look at, over the course of this message, the rest of the chapter, verses 6 through to 27. And, you know, we have an omniscient God, 
That verse in Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord in every place beholding the evil and the good, tells us that. Our God is omniscient, he knows everything and he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. God sees and knows all. Yet so many times people, including us at times, try and hide our sin, try and cover up our sin. Uh, stop man from finding out, stop um, God as such from finding out and try and cover up our sin, which is impossible. You know, David here was no different. You know, he was going to try and cover up his sin and hide it from God. And at the start of the chapter, like we just uh, did a bit of a recap, he'd sinned with Bathsheba and now he was going to attempt to cover it up. And he was going to learn an important lesson, or I don't think learn, he was going to be reminded, I should say, of an important lesson that he cannot hide his sin from God. Now I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know tonight, but it's a good reminder about how dangerous sin is and how we can't hide our sin from God. So as we look at this, we're going to see three plans that David had. It all starts with my first point, plan A. David's plan A, which was to send Uriah home. And we see this in verses 5 to 8 to start with. It says, um, we'll just re-read re -read verse 5 and then it's really 6 to 8, but it says, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. Now when David heard of Bathsheba's uh, pregnancy, I think all the alarm bells started ringing in his mind, and, and suddenly he realised he wasn't going to get away with this sin, this adultery is what he probably thought originally he was. And it should have been a prompting um, for him, a little little nudge from God to say, hey David, you're not getting away with this, and should have been a little prompting for him to confess his sin um, there and then. And in the first five verses, we looked at other times that God was prompting him to, to stop, but he didn't. And he should have confessed his sin, but like a lot of people who find themselves in a situation where it's, they've dug a hole and it's getting deeper and deeper, and then it's getting to a point where it's really hard to um, confess to people around you what's happened he decided that he'd cover it up instead. And so his first thought was he'd, he'd orchestrate Uriah to come home and he believed that if he got Uriah home that he could get Uriah to return home to his wife and that Uriah would um, sleep with Bathsheba and then his sin would be covered up. Because then when he goes back to the battlefield and finds out that she's pregnant and has, his, has a baby, no one would be the wiser. Everyone would just assume that it was Uriah's um, child as well and David would get away with it. So David, he was trying to cover up his sin. You know, covering up our sin, it's a bit of an oxymoron really, isn't it? Because when we sin, who are we sinning against? We're sinning against God. It's against God, an all-knowing, omniscient God. It's not possible to cover up our sin and hide it from God. We can't hide anything from God. And at most, we can keep mankind from finding out for a while until God sees fit. But even then... That doesn't come without consequences. That ruins relationships with the people who we've committed the sin against around if it's a, if it's a public sin. or It affects our relationship with God as well. Um, it, it, it has its consequences. And harbouring unconfessed sin leads to where David is now. And yet he's still un, not confessing his sin. He's still living in this unconfessed sin. So in verses 6 to 7 it says um, what we just read. 
uh, it talks about how he called Uriah from the battlefield and he pretends that nothing's wrong, pretends that everything's just as normal. He, he pretends that all is well before God and man and he inquires of him about the battle. It says there that he demanded of him, uh, in, in verse 7 it says, when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, how the people did and how the war prospered. Now that word demanded seems quite forceful in our English translation of the Bible here but it simply just means inquired or asked. So David just inquires of him. Uriah gets sent back from the battle probably wondering what's going on, how come I've been withdrawn from the battle. Uh, perhaps he was thinking there was some issue at home or something he had to deal with. Uh, but now he gets home and David just asks him, how, how's, how's the battle going? How's Joab going? How's, how's every, all the troops going, the soldiers, and what's happening with the battle plan? He just wanted an update on the battle, trying to cover up what was going on and pretend like there was nothing wrong. And this wasn't anything that was totally unusual. Messengers that went back and forward from the battlefront to uh, the king to provide updates and for the king to send you um, instructions and all the rest of it. Perhaps was a little bit um, odd to withdraw Uriah, who was one of the mighty men, and not just a messenger or something like that. But where David asks him, um, inquires of Joab, how Joab did, he's inquiring of his general. Joab was a general of his army, so perhaps he's pretending like this is normal because he's asking one of his mighty men, okay, how's the general doing, trying to get some first-hand information. So he pretends nothing's wrong. Everything's all great. Asked how everything was going on the battlefield. And then after his conversation with Uriah, in verse 8 we find out that he said to, David, said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat. So after his conversation, David tells, David tells him, Uriah, go back home, you've, you've had a big day, you've been at war for a long time, you've um, served well, now return to your home and wash your feet. And that just basically meant, go home, relax, take a load off, Spend some time at home, clean yourself up and, and, um, and, and relax for the night. That's what he was hoping he was doing. And then he, it says there that even it followed, uh, it says at the end of that verse, there followed him a mess of meat from the king. That mess of meat is just talking about a gift of food, a food parcel type thing. So David even sent him with a food parcel, hoping that he definitely would go home and that he'd see Bathsheba and they'd have a lovely meal together and everything and kind of tried to set the scene for him to cover up his own sin. You know, if David wasn't already feeling guilty enough for what he'd done and, and what he was doing covering up his sin, things were about to get a whole lot worse for David when we find out about the attitude that Uriah had and his integrity and loyalty that he showed. It was quite the opposite of what David had shown at this point in time. Have a look in verses 9 to 11 now for, um, for what actually happened. So after David sent him home, verse 9, it says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why, thence did they, why then did they not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul livest, livest I will not do this thing. <laughs> so much for um, David's plan here. And this shows us Uriah's integrity and his loyalty, doesn't it? 
He find, David finds out the next morning that Uriah did not return unto his house as he'd planned. Instead, he'd slept at the king's door with, the, with his guards, with his bodyguards. You know, no doubt, this was probably actually part of God's secret um, hand of providence here, wasn't it? Because we know, um, as the story goes on, that God was going to reveal David's sin and God was going to uh, punish him for it. So it wasn't in God's will this time for David to get away with it like this, for Uriah to return home. So it was probably God's leading in Uriah's life not to return home here. But Uriah, out of loyalty and out of his integrity, says, no, I will not do this thing. I'm not going to return home. You know, this was a problem for David, wasn't it? If Uriah didn't return home, the baby wouldn't be mistaken as Uriah's, and David's sin would be made known, worst of all, made known to Uriah, and to these other men. And David was, he still wasn't ready to repent. And so he talked to Uriah again, he asked him, he said in, the, in verse 10, we called him back, and then he says, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did thou not go down unto thine house? Where he says, Camest thou not from thy journey, means he's basically saying, You've had a big journey yesterday. You've had a big, rough, tiring trip, and you've been at war. You're exhausted. Why didn't you go down to your house? David's trying to justify for him why he wouldn't go down. You know, that's where we see the um, attitude of Uriah being completely opposite to David. He's a man of integrity and loyalty. He was a true team player, Uriah was. He didn't want to enjoy the comforts of home as long as his fellow soldiers endured hardship on the field of battle. And if there was any doubt that he might change his mind, he reaffirmed it at the end there with his oath, where he said, um, As thou soul livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. You know, David's plan had failed here. Now he, he definitely now should have confessed his sin to God, but like we've said, sin is a slippery slope. The lies and the deceptions can be hard to get out of. You know, David had come a long way from um, where he was. You think about it, it was only a few chapters ago that David said to God, God, I'm, I'm living in a beautiful palace and yet the ark is dwelling in a tent. Let me build you a temple. Isn't that Uriah's attitude? Uriah says, I'm not going to go home while the ark is in a tent and while my fellow soldiers are on the battlefield and Joab's out there. I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to go home and enjoy the pleasures of home while this is the way it is. And that was David's attitude. David, only a few chapters ago, said, God, let me build you a temple for the ark. And now David's attitude is completely flipped around, all because of this slippery slope of sin. So David's plan A, fail. So David moves on to plan B, my second point. Plan B, which is even worse than plan A, David's plan B was to get Uriah drunk. So after David's plan failed, he realised he wasn't going to get Uriah home willingly. So he came up with plan B. He called Uriah back in and told him, Uriah, stay today, stay one more day and stay tonight before returning to battle, we're told in verse 12. And David said unto Uriah, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. So David tells him, stay another day tonight, tomorrow go back to the battle. All seems kind of normal there. And then he decided to get Uriah drunk though, hoping that this would weaken his integrity and his loyalty to his fellow soldiers and that then he would go home to see Bathsheba and lie with her. Verse 13 says, And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. 
And at even when he went to lie on his bed with the servants of his, oh sorry, at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. This also did not work, did it? Instead of Uriah going home, he once again slept with the king's servants, the king's guards. So even this plan of David's failed. His integrity and loyalty was too strong, or more so, God's will was too strong for David's will, wasn't it? Uriah wasn't going to go home no matter what because God didn't want it. God wanted David to be punished for his sin and for his sin to be uncovered. It wasn't going to be covered up anymore. You know, some commentators claim that Uriah suspected that there was something going on here between or something strange with David or perhaps something strange with Bathsheba. We've got no record of that. Um, there seems to be lots of commentators who hold to this view, but it's not in the word of God. The only thing we are told in the word of God of why he didn't go to his house is because of his loyalty. And I believe that has to be the driving cause of this end because it was God's providence for him not to return home. You know, ultimately, though, he didn't, re didn't return home, and so this was another strike against David's plan. He was loyal to God, loyal to his fellow soldiers, loyal to Israel. And the stab in the back here for, for the whole thing is that he was loyal to David, his friend who had secretly betrayed him. So this plan failed. So then David moved on to plan C. And this plan is even worse than plan B, which was worse than plan A. So plan C, I'm sure you know the story, is to have Uriah killed. You know, when all of this began, when way back when he first looked at Bathsheba on the roof and saw her and lusted after her, he should have confessed his sin, then he didn't. But way back then, there is no way that David would have thought that he would be killing his friend and his loyal soldier, Uriah, at the end of this. There is no way in the world that David would have thought this would lead to murder. You know, even when he tried to retrick Uriah into returning home and that didn't work and then tried to get him drunk, he still wouldn't have thought of murdering Uriah. But, you know, that's sin, isn't it? We never think that sin will take us as far as it does until we're there. You know, if we saw the whole picture of sin, if we saw where sin would lead us, how far it would take us, the hurt and the pain it would cause us and the, those around us and how much it causes pain for God, we wouldn't do it, would we? It wouldn't be enticing. If we saw the whole package of sin, we wouldn't be enticed to fall into sin. You know, but the devil likes to make us think that the consequences of sin are not that bad. That the consequences of sin, yeah, they're, they're okay. It's not that bad. You won't get into that much trouble. It won't lead to that much hurt. And sin often starts off as small little things and then just builds up and builds up if we leave it unconfessed as David did. You know, sin affects our relationship with God to start with, which is bad enough in itself. But then it leads to pain and hurt of us and those around us. Like the Bible says, the pleasure of sin is but for a season. It definitely doesn't last. You know, David's sin that he was about to commit, like we already talked about, it began years earlier with his disregard for God's plan for marriage. For years he lived in sin by marrying multiple wives and having concubines and things. And that unconfessed sin led him to this point. You know, we can't leave our unconfessed sin and keep living it or it will take us further than we ever thought possible. Now this is how David's plan C unfolded. Let's read verses 14 to 17. It says, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest part, oh, sorry, of the hottest battle 
and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Job observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. David sent a message back to his general Joab at the battlefront, and he sent it with Uriah himself. You know, Uriah loyally and unknowingly carried his own instructions for his death right to the battlefield, hand-delivered it to Joab himself, and Joab would have then read that letter, and I don't know what would have gone through Joab's mind when he read that. I'd imagine that he's probably thinking that Uriah was obviously in the wrong, trusting the king. Maybe he thought that Uriah had committed some sort of um, treason against the king or whatever it was, um, and that's why David had done this. But Joab then follows David's plan um, loyally as well, obeys instruction. But how cold and villainous of David to send the death instructions for Uriah with Uriah himself back to the battlefront. Where's David's humanity gone? Where's his conscience gone when this happens? You know, he carried them back to the battlefield and the letter commanded Job to put Uriah at the front of the fiercest part of the battle and then retreat from him, leave him there so that he'd be killed, helpless. And that's exactly what happened. You know, although David tried to pass Uriah's death, death off as a loss of war, which we'll look at later, it is nothing short of murder. David planned it, David orchestrated it, David commanded it. This was murder, nothing less. You know, it makes us think to ourselves again, how could David have gotten to this point? As a servant of Saul, as a servant, before he was king, remember when he had the chance to kill Saul a couple of times and he wouldn't. He wouldn't kill Saul even though Saul was trying to kill him so many times and King Saul was obsessed with killing David. David refused. His men told him to kill David and he refused. He said, I won't lift my hand against God's anointed. I won't do this wickedness against God. Remember when David cut off Saul's garment? David felt guilty and horrible about cutting off part of his garment, just the corner. And now David's conscious, where has it gone? He has sent one of his loyal friends to battle with instructions to have him killed. How different is David now compared to what he was when he was a servant before all this? And the difference is that unconfessed sin, isn't it? He became king, he followed the ways of others, he took multiple wives and concubines and he let that sin grow and fester and then this is where it's led him. And it seems like he was ready to do this without any second thought. You know, on this thought one commentator said this, Satan could never tempt David with the entire package at once, but he could deceive him with it piece by piece. That's exactly what has happened. And that's exactly what happens to us. Little bit by little bit, he was deceived into sinning against God and lived with his sin, letting it take more and more control until he was at this point. We need to be so careful with sin. We need to treat sin as it is, a dangerous poison. Not something to be played with, not something to be taken lightly. We need to keep a short account with God. Let's read then verses 16 to 25 to see what happens after this. It says, And it came to pass when Job observed the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messengers, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, 
And he say unto thee, Wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city, when ye did fight? Know ye not that, that, that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerobesheth? I did practice that name. Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall, that uh, he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh unto the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah at the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Job had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David sent unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. Yeah, we see in these verses how this battle exactly unfolded. Joab sent Uriah and the other soldiers to fight against the part of the city he knew was especially dangerous, where there was valiant men of the Ammonites. And it seems from these verses that he sent them much closer to the city than he normally would. And from the report he sends to David, we can tell it was a terrible battle plan, a battle plan that he knew was doomed to fail, the battle plan that a king would normally be really angry about. Because he says there, if he's, if he's angry, then tell him that Uriah is dead also. So he thought David would be really angry with that battle plan. You know, notice the um, death sentence for Uriah also cost other men their lives too. Did you notice that in verse 17 it says, and the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. You know, Uriah wasn't the only loss in this battle from this battle plan that Joab sent them too close to the city and followed David's instructions. In order to get Uriah killed, it also meant that other innocent, loyal soldiers were killed as well. Yet David, he didn't seem to mind this. As long as his sin was covered and hidden from mankind, he didn't seem to mind at all. Verses 20 and 21 that we just read, we read that Joab told the messenger, if David's angry with the battle plan that we've done and the report and questions, why did we go so close? Tell him Uriah is dead, so to, to cheer him up a bit, really. Now, normally that should be troubling news, but in David's case, obviously, that was the news he was hoping for, wasn't it? You know, the reference in these verses to Abimelech, it's from a story in Judges chapter 9. We won't read it. But Abimelech went too close to the city, to a city wall that they were attacking because he was trying to burn down their door. So he was trying to burn down a door to the city. And in doing so, he was right up against the city wall. And then uh, in, that, in Judges chapter 9, we read that a woman then threw down a millstone from the top of the wall. It hit him in the head. Um, and then he was lying on the ground. It didn't kill him straight away. But so that no one could say he was killed by a woman, he then organised one of his servants to kill him instead and said, kill me with my sword so that no one can say I was killed by a woman. And this whole lesson seems to be learnt and taught um, in probably all their combat training in the Israel army. It seems to be that all the Israelites knew, don't go close to the wall or you'll be like Abimelech. You can have a millstone thrown on your head by a woman and be killed if you go too close to the wall. It seems to me every general would have known it, every, every tactical person in the army, all the soldiers knew, you don't go close to the city wall, don't be an Abimelech. seems to me that that was a bit of a saying then, because 
Uriah, uh, Joab was expecting David to say, why did you go so close to the wall? Don't you know the story of Abimelech? Why did you do that for? That's what uh, Joab was expecting. You know, so it seems like it was uh, well known. The Israelites knew not to do it. We can tell from verse 24, then it says that the men were shot, uh, that they were killed by shooters. It says 24, and the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. You know, so for Joab to send a report back about the battle, including how close they got to the city and that a few of the men or some of the men were killed, we don't know how many, David should have been furious with that. So just in case he's angry, Joab says, tell him also Uriah is dead, knowing that that would soften the blow of the battle plan. And then David would understand why Joab was so reckless and, and uh, went forth with his terrible battle idea. Now the messenger did as David as Job commanded and told everything to David. And then in verse 25, we read David's response. And we'll just read that again. Verse 25, Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shall thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And we see David's response. He sends word back to Joab through the messenger saying, don't be discouraged by what happened. Don't be upset. He says, the sword devoureth one as well as another. This was a proverb, um, according to commentators, that uh, was regarding the fortunes of war. A proverb basically like a saying, saying, ah, these things happen. David's response to Joab was, oh, don't be upset. Don't be displeased. It's okay. These things happen. <laughs> what an attitude from the man of God. It just... No matter how many times we, we read things about this, it just comes back to how did David get here? We know the answer, living in sin. But it just blows your mind how David got to this point where he can seamlessly, doesn't even care that he's ordered the murder of Uriah, doesn't even care that other men have died in covering up his own sin. Ah, these things happen, David says. Probably as much to his own guilty conscience as he did to cheer Joab up. He was passing off the loss of lives of just something that happens. No big deal. It's just part of the war. But we know it was much more than that. Now David then tells Joab to step the battle up a notch and to attack the Ammonites more fiercely and overthrow the city. Now, now that David's plan was completed, now that Uriah was dead, he just wanted to be done with the whole thing and move on, didn't he? So he sends back, Joab, step it up a notch, make the battle fiercer, overthrow the city, be done with it, come home. Let's finish this just so that he could move on and finish it. And then we read verses 26 to 27, which finish off our chapter. It says, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the mourning was, was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bare him a son. We'll leave the rest of that for a second. Bathsheba mourned over the death of her husband, and rightly so. We're not told any reason for her to know of David's involvement or whatever. I'd imagine that part of her was relieved that now she didn't have to explain to Uriah um, her adultery and that she wouldn't be punished as an adulteress. But she mourned. And after her mourning, though, David wasted no time. He took her as his wife, and this was no big deal for him either. He'd added more wives to himself before, so what's another one? He added another wife. You know, as far as he was concerned, his sin was hidden. The problem was taken care of. And on top of that, in society in that day, with no welfare systems like we have now, he would have been seen as a hero. 
One commentator said this, and I like this quote, David is a sort of hero now. In the eyes of the people, he has taken into his harem the poor pregnant wife, the widow of one of his fallen captains, so that the people would say, my, look at the way he stands behind his men. He takes care of their widows when they are killed in battle. What a marvellous king. And that's what they would have thought of David. You know, David, he probably would have been pleased with himself at this point. Not for very long, though. Not only did he get away with his sin, he covered it up and no one knew the truth, but he even came out looking like the good guy. Or did he? At the very end of verse 27, the part that we haven't read yet, the last couple of, or last sentence there says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Yeah, this displeased there means it was evil in the sight of the Lord. God saw his sin. He couldn't hide it from God. Of course he couldn't. Yeah, this is the first mention of God in this chapter. It's kind of like until now God's been sitting idly by. He gave David ample chances to confess his sins and to make it right, and David didn't. David ignored God, ignored the Holy Spirit. And so David, uh, David now was on his own, and it's like God just sort of said, okay, David, you can have your sin. I'll just watch. I'll just idly wait. Your punishment's coming. And it's kind of like God just let David continue in his sin for now until now when it displeased God. David fell deeper and deeper in his sin. You know, David's sin wasn't going to go unpunished. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honourable in all, and a bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You know, God judges all sin. All sin comes with punishment, but there's verses in the Bible that tell us that adultery will definitely be punished by God. And God was going to punish David. His punishment actually started straight away with the guilt that he felt. He would have felt pretty pleased with himself to start with, but it didn't last long. We won't turn there, but Psalm 23, verses 3 to 4, is what he wrote before he um, met the prophet Nathan and told him and confessed his sin. It says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. That's how David felt while he was living in this guilt, this sin. The punishment had already started. You know, David felt that guilt while he was silent before he'd confessed his sin and Nathan had seen him. And this is part of God's punishment. We can't escape the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we're sinning, when we're living in sin. We can quench it, unfortunately, and go to the point of where David is now, where he's, he's kind of really quenched the voice of God and just doing his own thing. But they, the guilt sets in. The guilt starts. And that's how David felt. You know, one commentator said that David was too lost in his sin to enjoy fellowship with God and too close to God to enjoy the sin. It's right there in the middle. The Bible talks about that. We can't have two masters. We can't serve God and we can't serve man. We can't serve sin. You know, it's foolish to think that we could ever hide our sin from an omniscient and omnipresent God. A couple of verses just as we finish up. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Proverbs 15.3, like we've already read, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Psalm 69.5, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. We cannot hide our sin from God. In trying to cover his sin, David's plan C had him murder Uriah and led to the death of others. Far better had he have been to confess his lust before he acted on it when he first saw Bathsheba or any other time 
during his plan A and plan B and before plan C. But it took him way too far. You know, God saw the whole thing, nonetheless. He sees everything with us too. We need to learn from this or more so be reminded from this. We cannot cover our sin from God. God sees all, God knows all. And our sin, if we leave it unconfessed, will take us further and further than we ever thought possible. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this next part of um, well, the rest of this chapter. Lord, it's quite a sad um, story how far David had gotten in his sin, but the Lord is also uh, a good reminder and a, a bit of an encouragement, Lord, that we know that it's not just us that struggle with sin. Even David, the man after God's own heart, had fallen so far. Lord, pray that it would be a good reminder to us to uh, keep a short account with you, not let our sin take you further than uh, what we ever intended it to, uh, to treat sin as a dangerous poison like it is, Lord, and a reminder that we can't hide anything from you, Lord, to um, get it right with you straight away so we don't uh, have the same problems, Lord, we pray. Pray that you'll bless the rest of this night. In Jesus' name, amen.